Good morning, Mill City. Oh man, Choir Sunday is a great Sunday. Every Sunday is great, uh, in my opinion, but man, uh, so grateful for the choir. Can we give it up for the choir here today? Yeah. We'll be back at the end. We'll finish up with a song here today. Uh, if you're brand new with us, uh, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. I also want to take a moment and welcome everybody joining us on live stream. Can we give a big hello and warm welcome to those on the other side of that camera right there? So today, if you're brand new with us today, uh, today's kind of a unique, not normal day, um, but it is an exciting and monumental day for us as a church. Uh, it is, we are in our, our first ever giving campaign in 11 years as a church, and uh, it is because we felt at the beginning of 2022, God leading us and saying, prepare. Prepare for, uh, to put yourself into a permanent home in the future. I believe that that word prepare wasn't just prepare for a building, it was prepare for a move of God. And we want to create more space for a move of God. It is not the, the, the building in and of itself is not the goal. The building is, in fact, a vehicle for the work of the Spirit of God. It is, that's why we named the campaign So That. So that there is more space for people to encounter Jesus. So that more people can find themselves in family. So that we can redeploy some energy that is given towards set up and tear down, move in and move out every week towards serving in different ways in our, in our church and in our city. So that we can serve more of the marginalized in our region. And so... So today, I actually came in to this week with a different message in mind that I've had on my radar and kind of in process uh, for a couple of months now, actually, and I just couldn't settle it. It is not normal for me to get to the middle of a week and feel like this isn't quite right, there's something not right here. Uh, and so that message is somewhere else, uh, not here today. And a new message from the last couple of days is what I'm going to bring. I believe that this is a word for this moment. And so I do pray that uh, we all would listen with, uh, with, with our eyes, our ears, and our spirits open. Because I, I think I come into this moment personally with a lot of expectation. And I pray that that would be true for you and for our church as a whole. And so we're going to look at a story today uh, out of the Gospels. It's actually a story, uh, we're going to look at the story in Matthew, but it's actually a story that's found in all four Gospels. There are not that many stories that are found in all four Gospels, but this is one of them which seems to highlight the importance of this particular story uh, to the, uh, those who are in uh, proximity to it to say, I need to include this in my account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so uh, it is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And some of you, if you've been around church or the, or the scripture, you're very familiar with this. Maybe if you're new to the church or new to the Bible, this is a, maybe an unfamiliar uh, passage for you. Whichever is the case, my prayer is that we all would look at it and hear it with fresh eyes and fresh ears and see what God might be speaking to us I believe this passage is important for us in this moment, for where we are as a church, and as well for all of us in our lives in the days and years to come. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 15, it says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, 
and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Translation, people are getting hangry. And we need to get them fed. Now, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, this is an interesting little moment, I think, if we really look at this story, because, because the disciples might have been like, hey, Jesus, uh, did you hear what we just said? People are getting hangry, and, and they, there's a lot of people here, and so we need to get them fed. And so, so we need to send them away. Did you get that? And then he says to them, no, they need to stay here, and actually, you need to feed them. Now, at this point, they must be thinking, uh, Jesus is going crazy again. Here we go. I don't know what's going on. But, um, and he says in verse, they said in verse 17, we here have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, what this indicates is that they actually had done some pre-work before they came to Jesus to tell him this is what they thought he should do. In other words, they... they Anybody, if you're a, a boss in the room and uh, an employee comes to you with a problem and they haven't really worked through the problem to think through maybe the questions that you might ask them, when they do, you're like, this is awesome. They did that this day. They don't always do that. But in this particular case, they did because it seems like they had gone out and said, hey, do you have any food? Do you have any food? Do you have some food you could share? Do you have some extra? Do you have any food? Did you bring any food? And at the end of the day, they, what do they say? We've got five loaves and two fish. So they had done some work to come to Jesus to know that there was actually not a lot of food out in this crowd for us to be able to split it up. So, so here they, they're like thinking, he just told us, you give them something to eat. Now we say we have five loaves of bread and two fish, and we know there's nothing else out there. Jesus says in verse 18, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Now this word sit... Uh, in the original Greek, actually translates better lounge. Ask the people to lounge on the grass. Now, that seems a little funny, and you can understand why that got translated sit, but the reason that lounge is the word here is actually associated with eating, and usually when they would lounge, they were lounging for a feast. So Jesus is saying, tell the people to lounge because we're about to feast. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. So what what it seems like here is he gives them back what they gave to him. He didn't take what the five loaves and the two fish, break and bless, and then hand them back tens of thousands of pieces of bread and fish. He's handed back to them what they gave to him. And they're like, okay. <laughs> then he gave to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. So I don't know what that looked like, but I just like to imagine what that kind of looked like. You know, it says at the end that they had basketfuls left. I mean, did they just have a basket and people reached in? And every time they looked in, there was just one loaf. But every time they reached in, there, when, when one loaf was gone, they'd go back and there was another loaf. I don't know. You know, did it... I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I think it'd be awesome. Um, they all ate and were satisfied. It wasn't like they all ate and they had just a little. 
They feasted. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children, which means there was at least 15,000 people in this gathering. So I want to take a few moments and highlight a few kingdom principles that we can take away, like I said, not only for this moment as a church, but for each of us individually. Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat, which is such an interesting statement. Because Jesus seems like he could have done a lot of things. I mean, he could have said, oh, let me just take care of that. Now everybody feels full. Let me just take care of that. Snap some fingers and everybody's got a loaf of bread and some fish in their hands. But he didn't do that. He said, you give them something to eat. Jesus did this type of thing in another miracle, actually his very first miracle, which was at a wedding. It's the miracle where he turns water into wine. Seems like Jesus could have snapped his fingers and the wine jars could have been filled. But instead, he asked those who were serving at this wedding, will you go fill the jars with water? He asked them to do something, and then he does something. See, he was asking for their partnership. God always asks for us to partner with him. God works through his people for kingdom purposes, which is pretty awesome and a little scary. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes we misrepresent God. So it seems like God would be a whole lot easier if you just did things without us. I'm a three on the Enneagram, so if you know anything about the Enneagram, threes do not like to be misunderstood or misrepresented. So I don't really understand how God can allow himself to be so misrepresented and misunderstood by people all around the world because of the people that he is willing and actually chooses to partner with. But he does. God works through broken vessels in order to bring about kingdom purposes. Now, not in this particular recounting of the story in Matthew, but in one of the other stories in the other Gospels, I'm going to pull something from one of those into this story, and that is they got the five loaves and the two fish, but they, we know from one of the other recounts of that story that it came from a little boy or maybe a, a young boy, a teenager. Now, this boy who had five loaves and two fish, I, I mean, I just imagine being him. You know, hey, hey, can we have your lunch? Now, I wonder if he's thinking, um, I, I don't have two lunches, I have one lunch, and you're trying to take my lunch to go feed these people who didn't bring their lunch, not my problem that they didn't plan. <laughs> I know you are a long talker, and I got a good mama, and so uh, she packed me a lunch. Or was he thinking, you know, like, well, how, how, what number am I? Am I at the beginning of the line? You haven't asked. Or I, actually, maybe he's at the end of the line. He's like, you asked all these people, and what do you got? Nothing. So you, I'm going to get way less than what I got right now. I don't have two lunches. I don't have four lunches. I don't have excess lunch. I got my lunch. This was a sacrifice for this young boy. 
I wonder sometimes when we have what we need, but we don't have excess of what we need, if we kind of sometimes can turn into Gollum from Lord of the Rings. My precious, my bread and my fish, my precious. Like, uh uh-uh, it's mine. And I've got what I need. I don't have extra. When I have extra, I'll give it to you. And too often we think about that with our lives, with our finances, with our time. When I have more time, when I have more money, when I have more space in my house, when, then I will be generous. Data actually shows that the giving percentage that people give goes down as income goes up. A study showed that those who made, and this is a very, this, in our day and age, this is not a lot of money, between ten dollars and $30,000 a year gave 2.5% away. Those who made between 30 and 50,000, 2%. Between 50 and 75,000 went down to 1.5%. Now, it might have been a a larger amount of money, but the percentage went down with more money being made. The actual percentage actually goes down from there above 75,000. So, The goal is not to say, I'm going to give more when I have more. The goal is to say, I'm going to give, period, because I follow Jesus, because that's what it looks like for me not to become Gollum, because we do know that money in and of itself is neutral, but the love of money is the root of so much evil. And so this young boy sacrifices his lunch and have sacrificed the willingness to give up something you love for something you love even more. Why would you be willing to give up sleep? Because you love this new girl that you just met. I did not sleep very much when I was dating Jossie. Why? Because I don't love sleep? No, I actually really do like sleep, but I liked time with her Why would we think of giving of our finances to create a permanent home and a bigger space? Why? Because, yes, do I love and do I appreciate the finances I have? Could I spend this in one particular way or another? Absolutely. But I love people encountering Jesus even more. So I will say to you today, without pressure but with clarity, I am unapologetically calling us to sacrifice today for the King and His kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is not built on the gifts of a few, but the sacrifice of many. One of the other things I love about this young boy and the generosity of God is that kingdom generosity is uncalculated. In the first century, and I think this applies a lot of times in our day and age too, is that we give based on benefit of our gift. In other words, we're analyzing cost benefits. If I give to this person, I might not get money back, but I'll get some sort of association or some sort of benefit from my connection to them. In the first century and in in Christian generosity, it is tied to hospitality. It is not just about giving money. It's about opening your heart, opening your home, opening your table, opening your life. And so hospitality might look like asking the questions if you're calculated, who is the worthy guest? 
Who's the guest who can repay me? Maybe it's, maybe it's not in them inviting me to their house, but it's connecting me to their network. It's about the, the social standing I will have if I'm more connected to that person. But kingdom generosity is incalculated. I give to those who cannot repay because we follow a Savior who gave to us that which we could not repay. Jim Elliott, missionary, killed in Central America as he and several others and their wives went to reach an unreached tribe. And he wrote in his journal prior to his death, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We give up what we can't keep to hold on to an kingdom and eternal things that will not go away. See, because we live for something greater. Kingdom generosity is not a zero-sum game. It's not, I got it, so you don't. It is a positive-sum game, which means that I got it and you can too. Like a pie, you know, we sometimes think, well, if I give a bigger piece of pie, or I give a slice of my pie to you, then I have less pie. But kingdom pie is growing pie. (laughs) So if you like pie... But when we have this this uncalculated, abundance, growing pie, abundance mindset, we actually will start seeing generosity opportunities all over the place. Because we won't be thinking, do I have enough, do I have enough, do I have enough? We'll be thinking, I can give that away and I'm going to have enough. Just because it's, it works. Now, I love what happens here. They give five loaves and two fish. Jesus doesn't say that's all. Oh, I'm going to need ten loaves and four fish, or I need, I need at least 50 loaves. Great. That's what you got? Five loaves, two fish? I, I'll take that. That will work. See, we often focus on what we don't have. But Jesus doesn't ask you for what you don't have. And that goes for all of our lives. He's always asking for us to bring what he has, what we have to him. Bring your grief, bring your pain, bring your questions, bring your time, bring your resources, bring your talents, bring it all. He doesn't want us to give Him what we wish we had, because we can't. Too often, He's not asking for us to give what we pretend to have. He's asking us just to give what we have. Even if we think this isn't much, it won't do Him much. Which means, can I just speak to the college students? What you lack in, in finances, you can give in time. What, what you think you lack in finances means that you still have something to give. I was a college pastor for 11 years prior to moving to Fort Collins, and we planted Mill City. And I have seen college students do some incredible financial things. I'm not counting you out. Just because you're like, well, I don't know. Not counting you out, please don't check out, because I, I believe in you. It's not, well, I don't have this, it's Jesus saying, well, what do you have? Now, I can just imagine the disciples in this moment, five loaves, two fish, and they're thinking, how is he going to break this up into 15,000 pieces? 
because that seems like that's not going to fix the hangry problem. It might make it worse. Just a taste of the bread and the fish is only going to make their mouths water more. This doesn't make any sense. And so here they put what is in their hands, which doesn't make sense in their hands, and they put it in Jesus' hands, and he breaks it, and he blesses it, and he puts it back in their hands, and a miracle happens. Because a small thing in the hands of Jesus can become a huge thing. Because he multiplies. A sacrifice, a small sacrifice, can become the birthplace of a miracle. See, God does more than we could ever imagine with ordinary things. Another place in the gospel says, give out a cup of cold water. Give someone a jacket. These are small, ordinary things. You might say, but, I, but they're, they're still homeless. But did you give the glass of cold water? But they don't have a closet to put that jacket in. But did you give the jacket? God takes ordinary things and does extraordinary things with them. He takes ordinary hospitality and communicates something bigger through it. What does it require? Us taking it out of our hands and putting it in His. Because things blessed and broken in His hands put back into ours can do extraordinary things. Why? Because we serve a God of immeasurably more. Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says in verse 3, 20, chapter 3, verse 20, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. Not our power, His power. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, including ours, forever and ever. Amen. The God of immeasurably more. Here's the thing. We are not responsible for the miracle. We are responsible for the surrender. Because we might say, well, I don't know how to do this. I can't make this multiply. You don't have to. And we just don't know what's on the other side of our obedience. We oftentimes say, and I'll include myself in this, God, I want you to do something amazing. Come on, God. But, but I just don't really want it to cost me anything. But I found that Jesus actually asks for really unreasonable things. See, there's, there's, a, there's messages out there that kind of seem like God asks for unreasonable things or doesn't ask for unreasonable things because He doesn't want to make you uncomfortable and He just wants you to have a good, comfortable life. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is Jesus saying, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself and pick up your cross and die and follow me. That is a pretty big ask if you ask me. I want your whole life. I want you to live and have an amazing life, but it's going to cost you your whole life. So to him, for him to ask for sacrifice, for him to ask for unreasonable things, seems pretty on par for Jesus. 
but what might seem unreasonable might actually seem so small to us and like, I don't know, what maybe you could do something with this. In 2011, Jossie, my wife and I knew that God was calling us to plant a church. We lived in Colorado Springs at the time to move to Fort Collins where we knew nobody. And we didn't grow up here. We didn't go to school here. Uh, we didn't have a network of friends here. So uh, we might as well have been moving to Mars as far as we were concerned at that time. And uh, we didn't have any money, which was a problem because, because the church planning organization we were working with said, uh, you need to raise about $200,000 uh, to start your church. And the reason they were saying that was, you know, you, you need to if you're going to, whenever you're ready to launch a Sunday morning gathering, you know, you need to buy a sound system and you need to buy some things for kids and check-in system and all that kind of thing. Signs. Okay. <laughs> it might have been, it might as well have been $200 million as far as I was concerned at that point. I thought, I don't know how this is going to go, but here we go. And in the next six months, we raised $225,000. I still was amazed at that. I don't know where that money came from. It, it seemed like it just appeared, but I know it didn't. We put out the ask and we said, would you want to be a part of something? And, and so we bought a sound system and a truck to put all the stuff and roll in and roll out and, and, and kids and signs and all of the stuff. And those, that little gift, those little gifts that made up that bigger amount, God blessed and God multiplied. What God has done through that as a result of that, given by people who maybe have never sat in these seats, will never meet any of us, and we thank God for their investment. It was a generational investment, a kingdom investment. And so here we today, as we step into Commitment Sunday, stand on their shoulders and their investment and give here today and commit here today to make what I believe to be a generational investment for the decades and those to come. People we might never meet. We might never know. But together, we can partner together. I mean, can you just imagine what we can do with the faith and generosity of this house? Together. It is going to take all of us, all of us, and thankfully, we partner with the Spirit of God. So it isn't just look what we can do, it's look what we can do with the Spirit of God working alongside us. There's a pattern, I've mentioned this before in the Scripture, that the Spirit fills the spaces that He's given to fill couple of examples in the Old Testament. When the tabernacle is built, then the temple is built. They stand back and the Spirit of God fills that which the space that was given to him. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 4 about Elisha the prophet. And there's a widow who is basically about to starve and, and doesn't have enough of anything. And so he has compassion on her, and he goes to her and says, find as many jars as you can find and bring them here, and I'll meet you. She finds a bunch of jars, puts them on the table, and each of these jars gets filled with olive oil. Once it gets to the last jar, the filling stops. It sure seems that the way that the story is told, that if there was another jar, 
it would have been filled too. If there was 20 more jars, they would have been filled. These were for her to sell as well as to utilize. I wonder how many jars we can put up. I wonder if we can say, oh, I got another jar in the garage. I got another jar that we can fill. I wonder, I'll just put this out. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's another jar. Trusting that God can fill. We believe that this is the time to press into creating more space for the Spirit to fill. And here's the, here's the big idea that lands at the end of this story, and that is this, that the food was for those who needed it. This wasn't a story about people who were, needed a snack. This wasn't a story about people who needed dessert. This wasn't a, a, a story about a, a, most everybody had a, a, a lunch, but a couple people needed it. And, no, this is a story of a hungry crowd. This is a story of people who, who weren't just hangry, actually might have been impoverished. A lot of people on this hillside that day were impoverished and in actual legitimate need. And to have the opportunity to lounge and to feast was not even in their realm of normal living. And yet God, not only in His generosity does He feed the need, He satisfies and provides a feast. And that's exactly what God is saying to each one of us. I want you to provide for those who need it. There are people in our city, in our region, in northern Colorado that need it. They need more space. They need to be placed in families. I can think of one woman in our house that recently put her trust and faith in Jesus. She hadn't read a Bible before. She didn't know how church works. She didn't know any of these types of things. She just starts reading. She's like, oh, I get in a city group. And she gets water baptized. And I had a conversation with her a while back. And I asked, how is it going? She said, I'm lonely. And I thought, oh, are you in a city group? She's like, oh, I'm in a city group. I was like, oh, tell me about that. She said, the friends that I normally have been hanging out with up to this point, I, I don't have an interest to do some of the things they're doing that I used to do. So I find myself kind of on the outside. I don't know feel lonely. And I think there's more like her. There's more people who are lonely. There are more people who are without hope and need to find hope. There are people that we may never know. There are people who need what we've got. They need the hope and the life and the abundance and the peace of Jesus. We want to create more space for the Spirit to provide. So our weekly practice this week is a practical first step is that every morning this week will you wake up and ask God to show you an opportunity to be generous that day. God, I just want to see. Well, he helped me see the little bits and the ways that I can meet it, maybe with some extra time, maybe with praying for somebody, maybe financially, maybe it's, maybe it's to sit with somebody in grief, to reach out to somebody that the Holy Spirit places on your Mine, maybe it's to be generous with your words and your admiration and appreciation. But for all of us here at this moment, the question we want to ask is, what am I going to do with what I just heard? I mean, we, if we believe that this was a real miracle, that Jesus actually fed 15,000 plus people, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe that God will provide for me? Because we oftentimes think, oh, I want to be the kid. I would give up my loaves and fish. That's true. We should find ourselves there. But we also have to realize that we are the crowd. 
and we are in need. And so do we believe that Jesus will provide? That he invites us to a feast and he provides enough for all of us? It's my unique privilege as your pastor here today to extend an invitation, to extend an invitation into the life of God. For some of you, that invitation is into a place of saying, Jesus, I trust you. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. You have everything I need. You are everything I need. And that you will meet my needs. I need you. If that's you here today, will you just, under your breath, Jesus, I give you my life. My life is yours. I want to respond to your generous gift of your life on the cross for the transformation of the world, the forgiveness of sins, I say yes to you. And we're also all invited in, in this moment, to participate in what God is doing in our church. To put what we have in the hands of God and ask Him to bless it and multiply it. Now this commitment moment that we're about to take here, I just want to say this. If this is your church home, I hope you participate. If you're new with us or this is, you're still checking us out or whatever the case might be, I, I want to encourage you. And this is actually for everybody. There's no pressure. If you're new with us, please just enjoy the moment. But we want to come together in this commitment moment. And I've said this leading up to this day, and I want to say it in this moment. We're, I'm not asking you for money. I'm asking you to ask God. God, what would you have me to give for us to ask, hear, and obey, to participate in the kingdom and his movement here in this house? In 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 29, there's a story of, the, of Solomon. He's getting ready to, or David wants to build the temple. He can't. So his son Solomon is going to build the temple, but he wants to do everything he can to help his son Solomon. And so he says, who's going to help me? And all the leaders come and bring their gifts in order to help provide resources. A week ago, we had a group of our leaders here in our house come together and make their commitments first. We've asked our overseers. They have committed and they're a part of what's going on here. But last weekend... Our leaders committed to $2,042,890.19. That's worth a clap, I think. Of the minimum of the $4 million we're trying to raise. We're trying to raise a minimum of $4 million over the course of these next three years. So we're over halfway there. And we together, I think, can get there and beyond that $4 million mark. I also want to highlight one other thing. There's one group that is committed, and it's our elementary, middle school, and high school students have collectively together committed to give $40,000, 1% of the total. Then we're going to do it. We're going to, we want to be a part of this, which I think is so beautiful. That they would say, we want this for now, we want this for our future and, our, and beyond our future. 
And so we want to join in with them, all of us here together today. I'm going to invite Jossie to join me uh, here up on the platform. If you would, everybody, grab a commitment card. There's on a seat right around you. There should be a pen there as well. And what we're going to do, I just we're going to hear in a moment, and we're going to pray and give you a couple of minutes just to fill this out if you haven't already. Give you in that moment, feel free and please do ask God if you haven't already. Uh, if you're here with your spouse, you can fill out one card. Pray with one another. Cement the decision you're making individually. Pray, cement the decision you're making with God. You fill out your name, email, phone. And then there's a line for the total amount that you're going to commit for the next three years. Uh, the next line is your kickoff offering, which would be the amount that you would kick that total amount off. You might give it here today, but of the total, here's the amount that we're going to start with. And then the rest, the will be broken up however you'd like into monthly or annually or whatever. And then there's also a line on here if you were to commit, wanted to commit a non-cash asset. That might be like a stock or a piece of property or some sort of um, jewelry or something, whatever maybe that is. And then you can sign. If you're, signing, if you're here as a married couple, you can sign together. Both of you sign and then date it. And then at the end, as we walk out, we'll drop these into some containers. And so, um, Jossie's going to pray for us, and then there's going to be about two minutes or so um, where I just would ask you to fill out the card, but also offer it to the Lord. Pray, offer, and take it out of your hands and be putting it into His. God, we thank you for the greatest reality that you are the one who created us and sustains us and our provider. God, would you align our hearts with yours, with what you would ask of us to give? I'm inspired by the boy with the fish and the loaves. With four boys, I know what their appetites mean. And it's something to give it up. What would you ask us to give up in following you? Thank you that you include us in the purposes of the earth, that you are at work to redeem, to restore, to renew, to rescue. Thank you for your rescue. Thank you for salvation and hope and life in Christ. Thank you for purpose that we walk in with you. Would you open each of our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand? Help us to hear and live in responsive obedience in all that is ours to be and do. Thank you for what you provide. Your word says every good and perfect gift is from you. And in Romans 11, at the end of the chapter, from you and through you and unto you are all things. So let it be so. Where would you have us? I feel so excited with the clarity and the mystery. And at your word, we will respond and do what you've given us. So help us to live by faith and Speak to each one of us and provide for each one of us and far beyond us for this region. God, we say, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in northern Colorado as it is in heaven. We bless you. We trust you. We thank you. We give you this time. Lead us in Jesus' name.